Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 269. My name is Adam Patterson. Joining me today, we've got Kevin Rakestraw. How are you, Kevin? Yeah, all right. All right. Joining us this week, making his podcast debut, we have Film Pulse contributor Ken Bakley. How are you, Ken? I'm doing well. Awesome. On this special Halloween episode, we'll be covering first and last films from three horror directors. We're going to be talking about Mario Bava, Clive Barker, and Jennifer Lynch. So strap in. We got six reviews for you today. Six. Can you handle it, Kevin? I, I honestly, I can't. It seems like too many. This yeah. is this is like the old it's days. It's a lot. It's a lot. Remember, remember we did the Haneke retrospective? We did like... How many was that? That was a lot. We did his like his entire filmography. Yeah. I don't think that worked out too well, though, did it? Uh, I remember it was, like so three, it was like three and a half hours long. I remember yeah, that. It was like <laughs> so long. We did not learn. We learned nothing from doing this. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, before we dive in this week, I want to thank our latest Patreon subscriber, Patrick Wang. If you... Want to help out the site and the podcast stay afloat? Consider becoming our next patron by going to patreon.com forward slash filmpulse. Any support you can give us is much appreciated. I also want to thank DJ Daggett for sending us an awesome Halloween mix to use for this week's intro and outro. Uh, we'll be sure to have a link to his stuff in the show notes as well. Great Halloween mix. You guys aren't hearing it right now. But it's, playing, it right it's playing right now, but you guys aren't hearing it. I'll just imagine it. It's it's good. I would it's I would highly of... suggest checking it out after we're That's done. Fun. That's kind of spooky. Yeah, yeah. He's he's got lots of great samples in there, and it, it's really good. Uh, he's also a friend of mine. He was actually on the show uh, several years ago. He was on the show. I can't remember what we, we reviewed some comedy, and I can't even remember yeah. what it was. No, it was that Zach Galifianakis, Will Ferrell. They were like running for public office. Oh yeah. That, what was that movie called? Was what it called, was that called? Was it called Running Mates? Is like, that what it was? Called like the campaign or something. It was called the campaign. I like how we immediately got sidetracked. <laughs> well, that's how we right do off it. The that's. I think it is called the campaign. Yeah, it Jim is. Roaches. Yeah. Back in 2012, the campaign. Give it two stars if you're wondering. <laughs> I don't remember how I remember that. I, I remember not liking it. Um, I've never even seen it. I could see what I gave it real quick, just you know, for consistency's sake. Uh, <laughs> I also gave it a two, so there we go. Ooh, interesting. Let's dive into these reviews here. So we're going to be talking about Mario Bava first. Uh, his He did a few movies before Black Sunday in 1960, but I'd say that Black Sunday was like his first proper film. That, that was like, I think. I think you can just be honest. And for the sake of this podcast, we considered Black Sunday to be the first. Mm-hmm. I think most people do, because a lot of the other stuff was some short films, like a lot of documentary shorts and things like that. So I think Black Sunday was definitely considered his debut. I have a synopsis here. A vengeful witch and her fiendish servant return from the grave and begin a bloody campaign to possess the body of the witch's beautiful lookalike descendant. Only the girl's brother and a handsome doctor stand in her way. 
So what do, what do we all think of Black Sunday? I think we'll start with Ken since he's the newcomer. Uh, I thought it was fine. Um, I don't really have, I really should have written down more notes because now I'm just trying to jog my memory back to what I thought. Can I send it around to someone else and I'll just like piggyback off other people's comments for this? I'll actually mirror what you said. I thought it was fine. I've <laughs> talked. <laughs> I don't have a whole lot to say about Black Sunday. I, I actually talked about this before on the show. I don't know when, but at yeah. some point on the podcast, I discussed Black Sunday. I am a big fan of Mario Bava, and I think that this is a pretty solid debut from him. It's got this kind of gothic horror vibe. I think the strongest element of this this movie, for me at least, was the lighting. I thought the lighting was pretty incredible. It's got really good like, I, I think It's very moody. Yeah, I think that's one of Bava's strongest uh, strongest skills is his, his ability to light uh, a shot really well. Yeah. Story-wise... I thought it was pretty average. I was like, <laughs> and the dubbing was really bad in this one as well. Yeah, they were yeah. a lot of them were back then though. I'm actually I'm to the point now where I hate Black Sunday so really? much. Really, and it's not it's not really Black Sunday's fault entirely. This is a movie that I've watched three times now, and I don't know why. Didn't the wasn't, first time I, I we talked about this before? Yeah. The first time I watched this. I just I was watching a Baba film and I was like, all right, it, it was fine, much like you guys, you know, back then when I was young, and <laughs> young just, and naive. Yeah, it's just like it's fine. The second time I watched it, I I didn't know that I watched it before. That's how uh, memorable I found Black Sunday to be. So halfway through the second viewing of Black Sunday, it kind of like trickled into my mind of I think I've seen this movie before, and then I realized I did. So this time around, I just, I didn't want any part of it. And I never, like, why have I seen Black Sunday three times? <laughs> I, I'm actually like, surprised that's never happened to me before that I'm watching a movie and I don't remember that I've seen it before. Oh my God, it happens to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I just the, have like a better memory for this. Maybe. I, this is the only movie I think that this has happened for me and I, I like i i'm having a really difficult time moving past the fact that i've seen this three times why why have i done this i don't know maybe you're a huge bava fan you just want to consume all the bava all the time i mean you need to have all your bava beans yeah yeah this is it's it's too much though there's no reason anyone should see black sunday three times like it's it's not that good there's yeah, no justification yeah. for it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that it would warrant three yeah, rewatches. I don't, I don't know no, you're really getting on those second two viewings. No, it's just uh, I was essentially going through the motions, really. Mm-hmm. First, second, and third time. Okay, so let's let's set all that aside, <laughs> and let let's say that you you viewed it for the first time. It's fine. Okay. It's it's good. It's fine. It seriously is. This is one of the and that's like that's kind of a how Black Sunday is for me. It's it's just so unmemorable. Right. It's that even three times watching it, I don't have anything to say about it. Why did you finish it the second time if you were realized you'd seen it before? I think it was because at that point there was an investment made on my part Mm -hmm. that I had to see 
through to the end for some reason. I'm not sure. I don't even know why I watched it the third time. I didn't have to. I get that way with a lot of TV shows. Yeah. yeah. I, I usually do the I same it, thing. I think it just points to my professionalism is, is how I want to look at it. Mm-hmm. You know, sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, you, you stick it through to the end. I try yeah. to do that. Even even if I'm not feeling a movie, I try to get through it, even if I'm not enjoying myself. I do that too, but my motivation is I can log something else on Letterboxd afterwards. That's a huge factor yeah. Yeah. for me. Just, <laughs> because it's like, it's like the cathartic reaction that you get when you have a checklist and you start checking things off. That's like me just watching like the number of films watched per year go up. Yeah, I and, and I'm very strict about what I log. I've talked about this before. Uh, like, if I see three quarters of a movie, I don't log it. If I I have mm-hmm. to see a movie to completion. Same mm-hmm. thing if I like miss ten or fifteen minutes of a movie at the beginning and watch the rest. Mm-hmm. I don't log it until I see that that beginning part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, makes sense. But I have a lot of weird letterbox rules that we won't necessarily get into today. I'll sometimes make like log a movie on Letterboxd just to make a joke about it, but I won't add it to the diary. I'll just like log a review. Mm-hmm. I made some stupid joke about La La Land the day after it won and then lost Best Picture at the Oscars. Uh, but that's like the most I do. I just kind of. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with yeah. that. No, there's not. I'm not saying there is. So. Black Sunday, I thought, was uh, <laughs> getting back to. <laughs> I love. <laughs> Man, I just would like just... to point out that this, I think if, if you're, you know, a listener right now and you're thinking about watching Black Sunday, keep in mind that there's three people here that it seems as though we will literally talk about anything else besides Black Sunday. So keep that in mind. This is my first time on the podcast. I'm already derailing the whole thing. <laughs> I, I, I would say it's worth a light recommend for me. No, sure, it's, it's a decent, it's a decent don't watch it three times. I'm guessing. Right. Yeah. Don't do that. Cause then you end up getting this, um, this tainted view of it. Yeah. It, it becomes like your cinematic nemesis for some reason. I thought the effects work was pretty decent for 1960. I thought it was uh, surprisingly more gruesome than a lot of movies during that time. And, uh, so I appreciated that, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. there was, I had trouble. Uh, there was definitely some, I think, reading about some censorship issues it had getting released just because of that. I think that th- this is, I think it's an interesting film for Bava to, to debut with because I think that you can definitely see shades of his style in there that get further developed as his filmography continues, especially like when he moves into color. And stuff like that. So it's definitely, if you're a fan of Mario Baba and you haven't seen this one yet, I think that it's worth a look just to see kind of his humble beginnings as a director. Any other thoughts on Black Sunday before we uh, give it a give it a score? No, I'm ready to talk about some shock. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'm ready to move on. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and give Black Sunday a score out of 10. I will give this a, I'll give it a 6. I'll give it a six and a half. I gotta look real quick. <laughs> you forgot what I gave this. I want to see what I gave this before. Before I say, you know, yeah, I gave it a six. Yeah, give it a six. I mean, honest feeling now is just you know from a personal standpoint, it's like a it's like a one. <laughs> okay. 
So Kevin's either a six or a one, depending on how many <laughs> depending on how many times you see it. Professional rating is a six. Uh, personal rating one. Okay. And I swear to just, God, I ever just say one to add some more diversity. Yeah, there you go. I swear, if I inadvertently watch Black Sunday one more time, two years from now we're going to be doing like a Baba <laughs> retrospective, and, we're and we'll be... discover what negative scores look like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I could see it happening. I wouldn't put it past me. Not me neither. I couldn't. I wouldn't put it past <laughs> me. I'll probably watch. I'll probably watch Black Sunday like. A month from now and <laughs> totally forget that I saw it two other times. Let's turn Film Pulse into a Black Sunday fan website. Oh, I like that. Just, just constantly. Where we just talk about it all the time and keep rewatching. Well, it. there was uh there was that podcast uh where every single week they watched Grown Ups Two and they reviewed oh. it every week. <laughs> or maybe it was Grown Ups that- One, but didn't like the the blank check podcast start out with like a week by week analysis where they would go through Phantom Menace in ten minute chunks? I think so. <laughs> All right, let's. So, yeah, there's precedent. There, there is. Let's talk about <laughs> Shock, aka Beyond the Door Two. So this came out in 1977. This was Mario Bava's last film before he passed away. Uh, I have a synopsis here for this one. A couple is terrorized in their new house haunted by the vengeful ghost of the woman's former husband who possesses her young son. Uh, Kevin, let's start it with you. What did you think of Beyond the Door 2, a.k.a. Shock? First off, that synopsis is bullshit. It's not a new house. It's the old house. It's their old house, yeah. It's the whole thing. It's the old house. Yeah. Can't be going around calling it the new house. It's the old house. Uh, Shock, I honestly, I thoroughly enjoyed this because... For most of the time, I didn't have any idea what the fuck was going on. No clue, which I, to me was a positive because I kind of like that in horrors. I like to just be like utterly confused through mm-hmm. much of the duration. And then like a lot of other bar or uh, Baba movies, it kind of just devolves into this just like a bunch of murders. Yeah. Just like, yeah. just let's, people are dying now. And it's just like, yeah, this is, this is kind of what I wanted. So overall, I mean, yeah. I, th- I thoroughly enjoyed this one. The, the music, for whatever reason, I really enjoyed the music. It was good. It was really repetitive. They, especially that prog shit, like towards the end. Oh my mm-hmm. goodness. Oh yeah. <laughs> I also did not know what was going on throughout most of this movie, but that was not necessarily a positive. I'm maybe not as conducive to that as you were, so that kind of affected my score in the other direction because you know. <laughs> I yeah. go through life and I don't know what's going on already, so I don't need that in a movie. Understandable. I go life, I go to go through school. I just go go through the motions, and you know, you turn on the news, and then you really don't know what's going on. Yep, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I was uh, I was a pretty big fan of this one. Well, not a big fan. I enjoyed myself with this one as well. Uh, I thought that it's a pretty slow moving at the beginning. It, it really took a while to sort of get its hooks in me. I thought that the, f- the final act was when it really picked up the pace and I enjoyed a lot of the stuff that happened towards the There's end. There's so much going on in that final act. Yeah, uh, that, that, <laughs> yeah. Was, that was really what won me over. The, the, you do the cram in so much towards yeah. the end there. Because you're right, the, it, it is really slow moving. Almost in the sense, it feels as though it's just more uh, stalling throughout it's just 
continually stalls its own story. But man, when it ramps up towards the end there. It's, this is basically what exponential growth lines look like as a movie. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. very plotting uh, towards the beginning. Uh, I felt the kid was a piece of shit. Uh, he was horrible. I hate that fucking kid. <laughs> I hate that Marco. kid so much. <laughs> I love... It sets the stage at the beginning when the mom comes out and she calls for him and he goes, Marco, that's my name. <laughs> and I was like, okay, there we go then. His name is Marco. <laughs> oh, shit. How much, too, with your hatred for Marco... How much of it hinged on uh, him wearing overalls? A little bit. To me, a lot of it had to do with the overalls. Yeah, that, that was a big part of it for me. I don't know why. It was the overalls, the, the face, the hair, his voice, pretty much everything about him. Yeah, he was just an annoying little shit, and I yeah. just couldn't stand him. Everything he said was ridiculous this, to the me. The fucking look on his face. Like, you knew that kid was evil. Of course. God. Or he had some sort of, like, developmental issues or something he just well, then that, you would don't bring that because then i'll feel bad hating the guy that's true let's keep yeah. him let's keep him innocent and just a little shit wearing overalls with the name marco and he wants a dog with hair like mommy's <laughs> <laughs> which was another like it was like where did that come from can i have a dog with hair like mommy's he's uh man if my kid, kid if i had a kid and that kid said that to me i'd be like what is we're going to see a doctor. There's something <laughs> wrong here. Then you go see the doctor, and it uh, and he tells you there's nothing wrong because of the way the kid drew trees. Yeah. Yes. He's perfect. That happens in this movie too. His fucking trees are they're flawless. There's nothing wrong with the kid. Can't be. That's, Look at his trees. I, I find that trope in movies to be really annoying. The the kids drawing these ominous pictures. But I do. I also love that it's kind of a major plot point. But at the same time, the doctor even points out, he's like, hey, I'm not a child psychiatrist, so I have no idea. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, so what's the point <laughs> so of this entire sequence? <laughs> what are we just doing? just found a guy <laughs> in a nice looking coat in an office and he said, here, diagnose my child. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why did he sign up for it in the first place? I'm an accountant. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a professional. I don't know what's wrong with this kid, but if I had to guess, I'd say it has something to do with those drawings. (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing, but I did have the kid draw a tree, and by the looks of it, it looks like a tree, so he's okay. Yeah, I think he's okay. Lady, you just walked into this H&R block, and you asked (laughs) about your kid. I don't got a lot to go on here. Would you like to apply for a loan? (laughs) Uh, I did like but, the scene when she smacked him in the face, though. That was... Yeah. Well, that was a long time coming. Yeah. I think that that was... Uh, I think... I can't speak for you two, but for me, that was kind of like a, a weight being lifted off my shoulders. It was finally like, good. If they would have got that smack, you know, within like the first five minutes, I think I think the film would have would have uh, played better with me. Yeah, I think so. Like a release... Yeah, but there might there might have been more build up requiring a second smack later on. True, because you 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 release it early and then you build it up again with him losing his shit over a dog that has mommy's hair, <laughs> and then you, you got to give him another smack. Uh, can I go back to that thing with the doctor and the drawing trees again? Because that bothered me so much. <laughs> I I mean I took uh, just like this really you know basic elective 
psychology, sort of introductory psychology course uh, in my senior year of high school, which was, you know, not that long ago. And the whole thing is that we actually mentioned that and the specific purpose of saying this whole thing about drawing trees has been considered BS for decades and no one thing takes it, no one has taken it seriously in over a half a century. So I thought that was going to be like a whole thing where it was like, uh, like the doctor, the fake doctor, the accountant, whoever he was, was somehow also terrible just because of how blatantly nonsense the whole thing was. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was uh, maybe it was a 70s thing. Maybe they just didn't get there yet with, well, with I, I child psychology. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they just dipped back in for a minute. Well, well also, I think it was also... also it's, it, I love the way that it's just like kind of justifiable too, where it's just, you know, he points out that he's not, he's like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a child psychiatrist. Then who is he? <laughs> it's, he's just, he's the guy that like when her husband committed suicide, he was the guy that was like, ah, I gave her some, you know, probably gave her some like antidepressants or something. That was it. Yeah. I think it just goes along with this, this movie not making a whole lot of cohesive sense. There's just a lot of no. random things that occur. Cause the whole idea of the child being possessed doesn't really make sense to me at all. Like there's times where I'm like, okay, the child's possessed, but then there's other times where the child's just not even around at all. And there seems to be some sort of, uh, you know, being in the house. Right. And it doesn't seem like he needs to possess the child in order to do what he does. Yeah, like, I don't just like a, sidetrack is it just sort of a hobby it, it, yeah, yeah like, it, it just know. doesn't it, make sense it didn't like, seem okay. necessary to no. possess the child when we're i mean so really this is like it's a haunted house story but it's also a possession story as well it's like you so you get both yeah. things going on at once but mm -hmm. I, I will agree like the child possession thing didn't it didn't hold a lot of weight because the, the ghost in the house could do a lot of the it we see it do a lot of the damage itself. So what was the point? The yeah, rape, the the rape uh, thing? The, Mario was... Baba had a product placement deal with stupid child overall companies. <laughs> Oshkosh. Oshkosh? Is that what it was? Is this an Oshkosh Bagosh vehicle? Yeah. <laughs> Might be. It's a really abstract commercial, but I think we've gotten to it. If that is, if that were to be true, I would, this like this yeah. Yeah. I would like this movie more. Yeah. I would like this movie more. I'll be, I'll be 100% honest. Uh, I liked the laughing piano scene. I liked a lot of the scenes. A lot, a lot of the effects in this I thing. I liked a lot of the scenes, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's just, like, bits and pieces of it. If you don't look at it as a, like, as a whole, and you just look at, like, individual pieces of this, it's, there's a lot of great stuff. Yeah, I mean, if you... As a whole, I don't know if it really works. No. But it's much better in the abstract. I didn't really care for it as a movie but just scene to scene it was all right right mm -hmm. uh, yeah I'll, I'll completely agree with that i think looking at it as as any kind of decent narrative it's there's it's just not there like no, the dialogue is pretty bad <laughs> it's all of it's pretty bad but you have these kind of segments that uh that really work like the the armoire thing uh th yeah. that scene was mm -hmm. awesome the one of my favorite uh, shots in the whole movie was the scene where she's in bed and her hair starts like they, they must be flipping yeah. the bed because like her hair oh, starts was, moving all over yeah. the place and yeah, i thought that, that was great that was one of the best shots in the whole movie i was like wow that that actually looks really awesome yeah that actually yeah. perked my ears up a little bit 
because I did love the way that that looked. I also like the way that they handled the, um, the husband drugging her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that, for a long period of time, that just, like, because it's shown once, and, they, you know, she has the freaky hallucinations and everything, but you get no sense or idea of, okay, well, why was she even, like, what was the point of her being drugged? Like, this, you know, at that point in time, it makes no sense whatsoever. So when it is kind of, like, revealed towards the end, it was like, oh, okay, you actually handled that pretty well, considering most of the other stuff you did not handle well. Right. But it seemed like that one, he had a firm grasp on, execution-wise. Everything else, he kind of fumbled. There there was... There was one other scene that that I absolutely loved, and it was the only scene in the whole movie that actually made me jump. And uh, I, I don't know if either of you can guess what it is or if this had the same impact, but it was the scene when the kid was running down the hall, and as soon as he goes out of frame, he turns into uh, the dad and jumps on the mom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like that didn't make me jump, but I really liked it. I, I was not prepared for that. That that was the <laughs> that was the only scene that I was like, whoa, okay. I knew something was, was awesome. going to happen. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I mean, it was yeah, that, that, that worked really well. Yeah, that that scene was awesome. And I think I you know kind of thinking about it now, with the whole uh, kind of enjoying the fact that it doesn't make sense. I think for me with with horrors, and why that that works for me is. I find uh, so many horror movies to be kind of predictable. And mm-hmm. with with this, you know, when they don't make sense, the, you know, you're, you're kind of not working with a blueprint. Yeah, you're just kind of going in blind. You have no so, idea what's yeah, going to be like coming. I, and I kind of get surprised that way, where a lot of the stuff, you know, they follow, they follow the same beat over and over and over again. They're so formulaic most of the time. Yeah. I, I kind of like when they're, they're, you know, they're messes. I like messes with my mm-hmm. horror films. I do to a to yeah. a certain extent. Um, sometimes I'm in I'm in the mood for something like that, but other times Suspicious. I feel other times I feel like some some of these messes don't work. Like uh, I'm trying, well, I'm trying to messy. Yeah, I think the thing that really redeemed it though was the the ending because honestly I didn't really see that coming, and the way that it escalates, yeah, was just mm-hmm. like Jesus Christ. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah, like. That was kind of tough to watch, especially her. The box cutter scene. Yeah, yeah, I was not expecting that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and was. Uh, be, it was interesting. Be, it, it's definitely like a supernatural Baba film, and he doesn't. I mean, normally he sticks with kind of the Giallo style slasher movies, but he definitely injected some of that into this as well. Because uh, I also didn't really see that twist coming. No, I didn't either. <laughs> Because then it made me rethink her whole thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm seeing, I mean, she's still somewhat of a victim, but I, you know, maybe reassess some things. I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting that. You know, in the middle of this goddamn mess, I'm not expecting to, to reassess things. <laughs> <laughs> you know That's the mean? best time to reassess things. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. I'm not going to go back and watch this again from a new perspective. <laughs> I mean, I was definitely not expecting that. I should point out that this movie is available on YouTube, so you can give it a watch on mm-hmm. YouTube if you're and interested. You should. Yeah. You should. If if it comes down to watching this or watching Black Sunday. Three times. Watch this. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but even if you're watching Black Sunday for perhaps the first time, uh, yeah, I, I would watch Shellac instead. I think I'd go for Black Sunday over this one. Interesting. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would see. Uh, it's uh, moodier. I like it. Okay. No, and see, I would agree because, yeah. like, to me, Black Sunday is like it's the better film. But I don't know. You know, something about watching Shock. I think you're just you're going to get more out of it. I think it's more entertaining for sure. Yeah, you're going to enjoy yourself more. I but I also want to know. So what's beyond the door? The first one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What's apparently the first one? <laughs> it's some movie that has tangentially similar themes that they decided to market Shock as a sequel as, uh, just for brand recognition. Really? Uh, it's like the relationship, but it's like a slightly better version of the relationship between Troll and Troll Two. Mm, mm-hmm. Okay. 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 Troll squared. Troll squared. Because I, I was wondering, you know, because you know the the twist and everything, and I was thinking, I wonder if they covered this beyond the door. I wondered like, that as well because, twist? yeah, especially when they start mentioning like her her time in the institution and stuff. I think uh, I was wondering if that had something to do with the original one. Based on my understanding, the films have nothing to do with each other. That was just a marketing thing. Yeah. So that just that bumped up shock, in my opinion. Cool. Because uh, I like that it's a sequel, but it's a sequel to nothing, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to love Wonder. these kind of like standalone sequels. Fucking love yeah. them. Just love the whole mm-hmm. idea of it. Like Surf 2, where there wasn't even a Surf 1. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> The surf one was the friends that we made along the way. That's that's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> Kevin, what are you going to give Shock? Oh man, can you rate this? Uh, you... Try. Why don't you try? Okay. Why don't you try? I'll give it like a six and a half, seven. I'm going to go with a. Hmm. <clears throat> I'm going to go with a six and a half on this one. Ken, what about you? you damn right. You uh, I'm going down to a five and a half, and now I feel mean. No, perfectly fine. I, 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 I yeah. understand. I understand a five and a half. I, I would understand if you said it was like a three. It's it's not a very good movie, but no, it's just. I mean, I could. You could give this sucker like a two. It's still hard. It. Yeah. It's still hard. It. Sure. It's not a good movie, but I get. Man, I get Geostorm a two, and I still hard it. There you go. So looking yeah. looking at Bava's first first film compared with his last film. What, what would you say your take is on this? One of the things that I've learned about doing some of the some this project and looking at some other directors who we were considering, uh, first and last movies are usually pretty bad. <laughs> like first and last yeah. movies are usually not great. <laughs> uh, I would say that as far as Bava goes, these are not at the top of the list for me. I mean, I think Danger Diabolic no, still probably not, is my favorite of his. I haven't seen much Baba, I don't think, besides this, so I can't really speak definitively to that, just the track along the way, but yeah. I think uh, with, I think Black Sunday is a good debut. I think that's a really solid debut. And I think Beyond uh, the Door 2 or Shock seemed a little, it seemed a little beneath him. It seemed a little lazy for him, just comparing it to something like Bay of Blood or Barren Blood or Danger Diabolic that they they all mm-hmm. felt like much higher quality movies to me, mm-hmm. but still not too bad considering. I don't I don't know if this movie was just like a payday for him or what, but you get tired. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. You want to make something? Yeah, he was getting up there in age. 
So maybe, yeah. maybe he was just getting getting done with it. Uh, listen, Manuel de Oliveira was making films into his, you know, early 100s, and they weren't great, but you just liked the fact that he was making them. Sure, yeah. Uh, let's move on and talk about our next director, Clive Barker. So Clive Barker, he only has a few movies under his belt, uh, director-wise. He made, he made three. Three. Yeah. That seemed right. Did someone like forget to add stuff to IMDb? Is that what's going on? Or is he legit only directed three movies? I think but, he's only directed three. Yeah, uh, that's it. I think that's the crazy. stories that I've heard about, like the, you know, the, you know, the infighting that he had with the studio on the second two, may have been part of the reason that he just doesn't want to make anymore. He he has a number of writing credits under his belt, also, and he's produced some stuff over the years. Yeah. But yeah, not not a I huge presence. Primarily a author i think he wrote a lot, writes a lot of short stories yeah yeah i mean that's where i think a lot of maybe all of his movies were adapted from I think his so. short stories uh so we're talking about hellraiser first that was his debut this came out in 1987 i have a synopsis here an unfaithful wife encounters a zomb the zombie of her dead lover the demonic cenobites are pursuing him after he escaped their sadomasochistic underworld this one is probably the the most popular and recognizable of the movies that we'll be talking about today. Uh, pretty iconic horror franchise. The way you said Ceno- the way you said Cenobites makes it sound like something they should be serving at Cinnabon. Cenobites bites. Cenobites. I mean, that sounds delicious. I think there are Cinnabon. Cinnabon does make. Oh, they're called Bond bites. I think. Oh. But they should have called them. Yeah, they should have called them Cinnabites. It would have been a great reference. Exactly. (laughs) Missed opportunity right there. So I'd say that, uh, like, like a lot of these kind of horror mascots, the Hellraiser series has incurred some some ups and downs over the years. Uh, Recently, I think Hellraiser, they've been churning them out every couple years or so. Uh, I think just to retain the rights, like I'm pretty sure it's one of those situations where they are required to, I think mm-hmm. it's the Weinstein company that owns the rights. I think they're required to put out a movie every so often in order to keep the rights. So they've just been churning out kind of crap. I'm actually making my way through the whole series right now. It's my second attempt to do so. That's so kind of like the thing that goes on with a lot of, superhero franchise when they just keep rebooting it right yeah it's sort of like sony or fox like the the spider-man thing yep yeah sort of the same thing they're just churning them out straight to straight to video but the first one was a pretty big deal um i i guess i'll start this one off uh i i was always kind of a fan of the hellraiser series i never liked any of the movies more than Friday the 13th or, or Nightmare on Elm Street or Halloween. But I thought Pinhead was kind of an interesting character. Going back and re-watching Hellraiser, this is probably like the fourth or fifth time I've seen this movie. It, I think it holds up pretty well for the most part. Uh, dialogue, not great, but I still really enjoyed this movie. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. Kevin, have you seen Hellraiser before? <laughs> I have not seen Hellraiser before. Oh, this, this is- was actually... Wow. For me, this was the most. This is. I was excited. I was like really excited to finally see Hellraiser for the first time. <laughs> Man, did it not disappoint! This movie is 
fuck great yeah it's uh it's definitely there's there's a lot of things in this movie where i'm one like i wonder if this movie started the a trend you know because you have the kind of goth look with the like long i don't know what that is like it's like a dress sort of situation happening but but it's kind of like a goth staple and i'm wondering if uh this can be credited to that i'm just not sure i don't know Maybe. Maybe I think a lot of trends, you know, just aren't started by one thing, but you know, you sort of kind of lean into it, and then it's I mean, a whole I'm bunch sh- of things that get the ball rolling. I'm sure the crow had a lot to do with it, but maybe the crow was yeah. influenced by this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, Ken, what do you think of Hellraiser? Uh, I thought there was a lot of, like I said, cool stuff going on in it. Um, I wasn't really crazy about the movie as a whole, but just all the concepts and all the scenes and all the ideas that it had going on with it uh were really interesting and it just looks it looks good because of how bad it looks just because of how uncomfortable it looks like it's a really this makes sense it's a really wet movie there's just so many sort of fluids there's just blood of course and then there's like water and sweat and it's just kind of a slippery wet movie it's so funny you mentioned that because as i was watching i don't know maybe the third or fourth hellraiser movie i i said to my wife, there's something about this series where everybody is wet all the time. Because mm-hmm. it, it it goes into the sequels, too, where everything just kind of looks slimy in these mm-hmm. movies. Oh, yeah. It's a slimy guy. Yeah. I don't know. I feel Which, like- again, I've been kind of like shocked. My mm-hmm. favorite thing about this movie is that it's, it's just, it's not interested in making any sense whatsoever or explaining anything. It just there's a box. This guy does the thing with the box. He gets ripped apart. All right, we move on. He shows up later. He's got no skin. I don't know how. How do you how do you escape? No one knows. He just got out of there. Now he's in this room. He's got no skin. He's like, and he just immediately knows. Like he's some goddamn scientist. He's like, if you bring people up into this room and you kill them, it it'll bring me it'll bring me back. Like it'll give me skin, organs, all that shit. Well, the, the and she's just like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's, let's kill people. I don't have anything else to do this week. I'm in. The yeah, the, and it's like it was the blood from the first time that she does it. Sorry, it was the blood from yeah, Frank but, that mean, brought him back. Yeah, but you're telling me that if you were with the Cenobites, right, experiencing all, all that apart, pleasure and pain, <laughs> you get fucking ripped apart, right? And then, what was it, like 13 years later or some shit, a guy comes in, bleeds on the floor. All of a sudden, you just materialize in a room. It seems like a... no skin or anything. You would just be able to deduce, like, oh, shit, okay. If people die in this room, I can suck the life force from them, and I can come back to life. Damn it, I need to find someone to lure people here. Let's do this. Like, it's just so quick. I mean, if it's been that long, you're willing to try anything. True. Yeah. I mean, true, but I mean, to get her to sign up so damn quickly, she's, it was wonderful. And I love the fact that she brings the first guy there. And you would think that, okay, if you're not 100% into this idea, that you could just, you know, chaperone that guy into the room, mm-hmm. just shut the door behind you, let things happen, just keep yourself out of it. But no, she's decided to, like, to bring a hammer mm-hmm. to do it herself. She even made, like, a place to keep the hammer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I that, I don't think we need 
five billion Hellraiser sequels. We need a Hellraiser prequel, but just about her and what happened in her past. That's just she's just so ready to do this because there's and something going on. Yeah, and that's what I love so much about this is they, in a way, they try to provide some explanation, but they make it worse. Mm-hmm. Where they do like a flashback where he just shows up one day when it's raining. And he's like, can I come inside? Yeah. She's like, I love oh, that scene. I don't know. And then More next way, thing you know, it's raining. In- this movie is so wet. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then, you know, next thing you know, they're in the bedroom and she's just like, I shouldn't. And he's like, uh, but let's. So they do. And then like, that's the explanation. Like, is she just that desperate for good dick that she's just going to say, you know what? I haven't been fucked right in years. I'm going to kill these guys to get this guy's skin as quick as possible and then so we can get back to it. So horrible what people it have just, to go through before Tinder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just so ridiculous. Yes, the motivations of some of these characters and some of the decisions they make are baffling in this. And none of like none of it makes sense. Just none of it. But I love it for that reason. <laughs> I want that like little puzzle box thing. I want like a replica of that puzzle box just to carry around in my backpack and leave it places and see if anyone knows what it is and gets a little bit unsettled. I never understood the puzzle box and how it works. I don't either, but I just thought it looked really cool. It it does. It looks awesome. I've watched many of these. I'm on part six right now. And how many parts are there? uh, There's like seven, I think, or eight, seven or eight. Jeez. Oh yeah. They, uh, I think it was in 2005. Maybe the one year they put out two in one year Damn. for some reason. Uh, crank them out. Yeah. So, Might as well. I mean, regarding the sequels, the second one is decent. That one actually the, uh, the, uh, the wife is the, she's like the villain in it. She comes back. Oh, so she, she she's, back? yeah, she's the, she's the bad guy. The only thing I know about mm. the sequel is that I think in maybe it was Roger Ebert's review. We complained that the movie broke the rule that characters can't just have dialogue where they shout each other's names back and forth because after a certain point, it just turned into a farce. Uh, yeah, I could see. I don't remember yeah. that happening, but yeah, it makes sense. The sequel's not horrible. The, se- the, the first sequel's not horrible. They go downhill pretty quickly after part three. Part four and beyond is, is uh, pretty bad. That's Actually, Scott Derrickson directed, I think, part five. Maybe, really? Yeah, cool. That—that's when it really deviates from <clears throat> the the sort of uh, framing of the original ones. Mm-hmm. The other th- the other thing that kind of got me is I was expecting more Cenobites going on here, but I, I do kind of love that they're not really too involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pinhead and his buddies, but I also love that they don't really make a lot of sense either. Like, why do yeah. they care? That he got away, like he's in a like. What do they give a shit? Because that makes him look bad. Because they run, they run to the place. Though? No one knows who the Cenobites are. They they run the underworld. Like do do they have do they have management that they have to like? I think they do. To? I think they do. I think like Pinhead is sort of a manager, but then he has a really? boss too. Is there like a sequel where they just where it's just like an easel with a Cenobite org chart on it? No, um, not uh, really. It's, it's them, them having a technical meeting. A lot of yeah. a lot of the I sequel, want that. 
procedural changes. If they asked me to direct one, that would just be what I would do. <laughs> a lot of policy changes. They're actually, it, they should do a movie that's just two and a half hours of them writing a new handbook. Yeah, that would bites. be the one that I would want. And like the most intense thing that happens in it is there's a very brief argument over like a procedure uh, according to Robert's Rules of Order. <laughs> <laughs> I want that. <laughs> Uh, a whole bunch of them get killed in the second one. I, did, I, I want that now too. <laughs> With the Cenobites. Yeah, all of them, all of them except for Pinhead get killed in the second one. Or no. Now we can't make that. Yeah, and then and then I think it's yeah it's towards it's the end of the second one. They all almost all of them get killed, and then in the third one you have all new ones, which okay it gets ridiculous no, we can do that. because by the third one you're dealing with like the nineties. So one of them has like a camcorder for a head and <laughs> one of them shoots CDs out of his mouth. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh God. I think, I think that and one of them and like one of them is the, is the parliamentarian and his head is just a copy of Robert's rules of order. And that sets up our sequel. There we go. There you go. Done. We already have this. Mm -hmm. We already have this fucker halfway written. Yeah. What did you guys, did you guys uh, find any of it to be scary or disturbing? Like, what was the, the, the horror level for you, for you guys on Hellraiser 1? Well, that scene where the guy's, like, walking down the stairs and you know he's going to cut his hand on the nail. I was <laughs> yeah. not a fan of that. Yeah. Because you just kept, uh, you kept, keep getting so much dread. And that's effective filmmaking. But I was, I kind of switched out of a tab until I, uh, until I thought, until I realized it was over. <laughs> Yeah, I thought I thought one of the the things like the effects I thought held up for the most part. However, the the skin did not hold up. Any, any close-ups of skin being ripped or yeah. pierced looked very bad. And it it helps that the skin was like paper towels. Yeah, it, it, that that was unfortunate because I think uh I remember when I saw this as a kid when I was when I was younger, it it really disturbed me, especially the end, the Jesus wept thing and they yeah. ripped him apart Jesus Christ <laughs> that, was that was really fucking good nuts. he licks his lips yeah the way he licks his lips ah, he's fucking wetting his whistle just to say that shit that's disgusting <laughs> he exploded for a second time that's the second time he did all that work to get skin he got exploded twice mm. that's fucking terrible oh I don't understand too how she goes to see her dad, and you can clearly tell. Oh yeah, it is someone that does not have skin that is wearing new skin. Yeah, and she's like, "Dad," because it's like, "How do you not?" No, yeah, that's not, that's not your dad. He's like, like it looks like he's melting. Yeah, he's like covered in <laughs> slime and blood. All of the skin is the different colors, and they're all wrong colors. Yeah, there's yeah. different and shades you can tell of wrong. Where you can tell where it ends, where he's trying to get it it's to like, like form together. He's like grouping it. Do you think your father was recently embalmed? <laughs> yes. How well do you know your father? It, it, the the funny thing is, she doesn't it's, even. It's just such a wet world that people don't notice. It, she, she just she's so oblivious to it that it, it takes that one thing that he says to trigger her realizing yeah. that it's not him. <laughs> it's like. You don't notice all the obvious things happening around you, and yet he says one creepy thing, and you're like, "All right, clearly this is my it's uncle." Just that. It's just, yeah, just such a you know, 
then like it, you know you said where where you know it starts some is that where the whole apex twin thing comes from i think it is is it I, it's gotta be i think it has to be because it sounds just like it it does i think that like added a little bit of a creepiness to it i think the first one it's is just, is the first one's by far the the creepiest and scariest of the bunch. They yeah, I mean, they get ridiculous. Scary after wise, that. I didn't I didn't think it was really that scary, but it was. I found it really disturbing. Yeah, number one, I thought the effects were great. Like the first time he pops up out of the goddamn floor. Oh yeah, and he looks like a spider. That, shit, that's yeah. awesome. What, what the hell? That was really unsettling. And this, oh man, just everything about it. The you know the design work on everything. Just, mm-hmm. I found really disturbing, and it just disgusted. Like you said, with it being, it's just so wet. There's so many fluids. Thatcher's Britain was notoriously soaked. That's why they called her the Milk Snatcher. She would just take all the like the milk and all the other beverages from the poor children. She would just dump it all over the countryside. <laughs> the was this? I don't know what I'm saying at this point. It's <laughs> all right. <laughs> this, this one did this one have sure, that uh, kind of that like spinning wooden pillar thing was that in this one towards the end where it has like this that was in the beginning it had, yeah, yeah it, it's got little bits of yeah like that yeah. just that thing that prop alone is to me for some reason is is deeply disturbing just because it has such random elements of like viscera and <laughs> horrible things on it there's like no organization I, to it. It's just got like, oh, here's a nail, here's some barbed wire, here's an ear. Yeah, and the, it's and the seem, spinning, I, I, and it's yeah, because they have a mechanism built into it that it spins. Right. Yeah. That again, yeah, a lot of thought put into it. That actually which doesn't. They must have really effective meetings. Yeah, that's a vision board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I just remembered, I completely forgot about, which really freaked me out. It was disgusting. Is one skinless guy comes out when they're trying to have sex and he's just he's just like i have a rat and i have a knife i'm just standing at the end of the bed hey look at the fuck i'm cutting the rat hand <laughs> trying to have sex like fuck you like what the f- like how at that point do you not think to yourself like maybe i shouldn't be getting skin for this guy this is a toxic relationship and i need to get yeah. out yeah why do we have so many rats like I don't need to draw attention to the skinless man in the room but i think we should get the rats taken care of at some at point at the very least <laughs> He has a wealth of rats. There's he's nailing them to the wall. He's holding them in his hands. He's pulling them out of pockets. He's cutting them in half. There's, that's too many rats. Yeah, one rat in your residence is too many. But obviously, that many there is a problem far beyond your own. Needs. Yes, that that's an infestation. They have taken it over. They are building their civilization from there. They will be mastering air and space travel if you do not do something quick. Exactly. You need, yeah, you need to stay on top of it. I think it's also. I think we should also mention the the design. I thought the design of the Cenobites is is really gruesome and and effective. And the design of Pinhead. I mean, that became sort of an iconic horror image. Like that character. You know, he's right up there with Leatherface and Freddy Krueger and Jason. Yeah. And what a great design! It's just a dude, creepy dude. Doug Bradley played him. Bunch of pins. Bunch, in his head. bunch of pins in his head. Yeah. Really bad acupuncturist. Really should get that changed. Uh, but yeah, that's like the one iconic symbol from this franchise. And it's just disturbing on its own. Like I'd see the 
poster when I was scrolling through Netflix before I knew I had to watch it, and I would just see that, and I'd think, no, thank you. Yeah. It's just, yeah. he's just it's, a creepy looking dude. really effective. And in some of the sequels, he actually pulls the pins out of his head, and there's like these gross, like living pieces of brain attached to him. It's, it's. I didn't need to know that. Yeah, it's, it's very. It, the pins are actually very long. They're like really, really long. I didn't need to know that either. Now you, now you know. I know it now. <laughs> uh, any final thoughts on Hellraiser? Is it possible for you to include the soundbite of him, of Pinhead, stressing the second maybe? I want to hear him confess himself. Then maybe. 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 That's a, that's the other thing I'd like to bring up. Yes, I can try to do that if I remember. Yes. And he's always wheeling he's and dealing. The art of the deal. He's always wheeling and dealing throughout the whole mm-hmm. Hellraiser series. This guy's cutting deals with he's people. He's just making deals. Yeah, that was again another another part that just didn't make sense to me. You're a bite. Like, just kill her. Find the skinless guy, kill him, just kill everybody. Like, you can just kill everyone. Yeah, but I think it, that wouldn't be but fun he, for him. I think that. But he enjoys making deals. It, it's all about. He's actually the ghostwriter of the art of the deal. The, the, <laughs> it's all about pleasure and excess for him. Like, apparently, I, I read a little bit about the, the short story that this is based on, and evidently, the, the world that they came from was, was originally sort of this, like, Caligula style world where everything was so decadent and mm-hmm. you know f- filled with carnal desire and eventually it kept escalating to the point where everyone that was there sort of couldn't tell the difference between pleasure and pain like the two the two hemispheres sort of merged into one and it became what it is in the movie oh it's like a, like when you re- reach terminal velocity and you can't go any faster, so you just kind of hit the ground yeah. after a while. And you're going to just I, keep hitting it, it at that speed. Yeah. It's interesting that you give me that information because, man, did Hellraiser fucking fail in, you know, getting that point across. <laughs> Get any of that information from the movie I just watched. Yeah, I, I liked all of the images and things. I garnered nothing after it was over sure yeah no it made absolutely no sense to me mm-hmm. they try to explain it more in the sequels but it, they don't really and see, it doesn't really happen that's the problem that a lot of horror makes these mm-hmm. horror films they always try to explain shit and it just comes off as stupid as right hell. like yeah like you don't need they to just explain it this poor job of it and it's just like stop just stop explaining it like you have a guy with pins in his face you have another guy who wears clothes even though he has no skin. Doesn't make any sense. Your movie makes no sense. Just into it. Yeah. Why well, pick a white shirt anyway? Like, well, he's, yeah. I, I did make no sense. And he's tucking the shit in too. Why the fuck are you tucking in shirts? You got no skin. I just like that they really they really pushed the fact that he is wet and bloody and like filled with plasma because everything he touched would be stained red. Everything. <laughs> I like that. Uh, all right, Hellraiser. Let's. That's, I just want to talk about Hellraiser for the rest of my life. <laughs> Fuck all the other movies that we want to talk about. You might want to talk about Hellraiser. You might want to watch the second one. <laughs> I'm sorry, 
you, you might enjoy the second one. I'd stop after I that, might, but... I might have to dip my toes in. Okay. I had fun with some of the sequels, but... Uh, yeah. yeah, I did not hate this movie, but after I saw it and I saw it, I just felt no desire to ever watch it again or watch any of the sequels. I'm perfectly content with having seen the first Hellraiser once. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty unpleasant series, that's for sure. Uh, all right, let's give it a score. Hellraiser. Uh, Ken, what are you going to give Hellraiser? I'm giving it a six. Kevin, Hellraiser, what are you going to give this? It's, it's up, me up to me? Yeah. I'm at nine. Fuck, great. I'm, uh, man, I don't even know. I don't know what I want to give Hellraiser. Probably like an eight. This shit's... I mean, like an eight and a half, nine, like somewhere. It, it is a mm-hmm. horror classic. So I feel like. It's canon. Yeah. It's it's like a Not must even horror, see. Just canon films in general. It's better than yeah, anything yeah, Hitchcock like, did. It's a huge on it, but I think, yeah, if you're interested in horror then it's something you should definitely check i'm out. sorry i want to go back to what you just said kevin it's better than anything hitchcock ever did <laughs> okay, yeah I, we need to revisit that <laughs> I, <laughs> I i you said that I'm and, I, and not, it just and, blew over my head and then it just kind of came back in yeah that's why i, I wanted to think of anything else right it was, now it's a it's a it's a stealth statement that's what i was intended uh-huh. but it's one of those things that in going in the vein of hellraiser is I'm not going to try and explain it. I'm just going to let it be what it You're is. Just going to let it hang out there. Going to let that statement yeah. hang out yeah. there. Yeah. Not going to back it up yeah. or justify. We're just going to let it. We're going to put this here and let it go. Not at all. I'm not going to explain anything about it. Fifteen years from now, Hellraiser. I'm going to have this random thing <laughs> of you saying in my head that something was better than anything Hitchcock ever made, and I won't remember what movie you were talking about or why we were having that conversation. But like in 2032, it's just going to fly into my head and I will not know why you said that. <laughs> oh, my. Random mystery. So Hellraiser is on Netflix, so you can check it out there. And I, I would highly recommend it if, you, if you've never seen that movie because it's, it's a trip. Uh, let's talk about... This, this is Clive Barker's last movie. It came out in 1995. It's called Lord of Illusions, uh, which, is, which is a shame because... He he also his the second movie he did was Nightbreed, and I think Nightbreed is amazing. I don't know, I, Kevin. I know you didn't. Is Nightbreed? I didn't get to see it, but is that the one with the moon face guy? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Ken, Ken, have you seen Nightbreed? I have not. Oh my god, it is it is amazing. It is so good. Uh, unfortunately, that was not his last movie. Lord of Illusions was. I have a synopsis here. During a routine case in L.A., New York private investigator Harry D'Armoire... What is what's his last name? Uh, D'Armoire? D'Armoire? Or D'Armoire? D'Armoire? Because... Harry D'Armoire? Harry D'Armoire? D'Armoire? But it always... In the movie, it sounded like it said... It always like they were saying L'Amour. Yeah, that's why I'm confused. Yeah, because then I thought of, like, Louis L'Amour, and that's how I remember the name, but... Anyway, he stumbles over members of a fantastic cult who are waiting for the resurrection of their leader, Nix. 13 years ago, Nix was gunned down by his best trainee, Swan. In the meantime, Swan is advanced to a popular illusionist like David Copperfield and is married. To... <laughs> I like how they... Like David Copperfield. <laughs> they, they, have to, they have to put that in there. Like David Copperfield and is married to... Well, you got to remember, this is... Sorry, what? This is during a time when David Copperfield was fucking huge. Yeah. This was during a time, right, where David Copperfield was fucking Yeah, huge. Magic was definitely in. 
so he's married to David Copperfield was the All thing. Right, we we know. Let me get through this synopsis <laughs> and then we'll talk about David Copperfield. I saw David Copperfield like live uh, See? once. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. He still got it. I, li- I liked him when ago. I was like, younger. Uh, so he's married. Doing- oh my god, Kevin. <laughs> I mean, that was like when I was younger and I was like kind of into magic. So we went did went to some like magic stuff and it was it's pretty good. Hmm. I'm sorry. Get back to that. So he's married to the charming Dorothea. She hires. <laughs> The investigator to protect Swan against the evil cult members. A short time later, Swan is killed by one of his own tricks, and the occurrences are turning over. And the occurrences are turning over. And it crackles uh-huh. between Dorothea and the investigator. What? It's crackling. All right. Whatever that, whatever any of that was all about. Uh, so, Lord of Illusions, what a 90s horror movie. I, I'm realizing. I watched a lot of '90s horror movies this this Halloween, and mm-hmm. man, I love '90s horror movies. I was all about the '80s horror movies for years and years, and I still think that they're the best. I still think that's the best decade for horror. But '90s, man, some of the tropes and some of the things in these '90s horror movies are just so amazing. And this this movie has a lot of those things. Kevin, what'd you think of Lord of Illusions? Uh, Lord of Illusions is, oh man, this is another one where it's like, it's kind of garbage, but at the same time, I love it. It's yeah. just so ridiculous. And I just the whole idea of illusionists and making a horror movie out of illusionists and a cult. And again, there's just like the effects work in Clive Barker movies are pretty fantastic, except for some of the computer stuff that they do here. Yeah, I, lo- I love in its own man, way. I loved it. <laughs> it was so bad. It kind of becomes this like bizarre like artifact where mm-hmm. it's just you. I almost forgot that that stuff used to look so bad. Yeah, well, this was two years after Jurassic Park. I kept having to remind myself that. I mean, the way that like he folded up, <laughs> like it looked like a screensaver <laughs> on Windows ninety eight. I yeah. And for whatever reason, it's just like, oh, my God, that is wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for existing <laughs> in this movie. That is just delightful. Well, like, And again, like most of it, just it doesn't make any sense. And I kind of like it for that. Yeah. Yeah, same here. Hmm. I, I liked this movie quite a bit. I will sort of mirror your, your thoughts. It's not necessarily a good movie. In fact, it's pretty no, goddamn no. ridiculous. It's but yeah. It was. I had a lot of fun with it, and there was uh, there was some, there was some really great stuff going on here. I will say that like I did not care for a good chunk of the movie, but when it worked, it really worked for me. Like the everything after the prologue, but like the first thirty minutes after that, especially like the magic show itself, I was I really really liked. I just thought that was really well done because I kind of always had an affinity for magic and this confirms my suspicion about like ebbs and flows in magic popularity i'm going to out myself as the youngest person here but uh when i was like eight or nine which was 10 years ago i was kind of i went through that like sort of phase when i was into mat and sort of like card tricks and stuff and i was like into magic as a hobby but i noticed that there seemed to be this sort of breadth of like magic books and material and pop culture 
from like the mid to late 90s from like this sort of period from which this movie is coming from mm -hmm. and it seemed like there was just this spike of interest in it and i could never quite figure it out and just the existence of this movie and this idea of just this super famous celebrity magician kind of confirmed that to me right yeah i mean magic was huge they they used to do i think i can't remember Dude, what it was so huge what, they, they were like tv events. yeah what what <laughs> we did it we reviewed i think it was a ryan watches a movie where we were talking about magic and how how it was so prominent in the 90s during mm -hmm. this time there were primetime <clears throat> events. I mean, David Copperfield was huge, but you had an, a lot of other kind of celebrity magicians working yeah. during that time. <clears throat> but you had that, and it, it, you know, it exists in such a, such a, you know, the nineties where, you know, the way that TV was set up, where it was this like huge event and mm -hmm. like everyone talked about it. Yeah. We'd be talking mm -hmm. about it up until the show you know, was going to be on TV. And you knew that the majority of people, like Adam, like in Dallas Town, you knew the majority of people were sitting in front of their TV watching mm -hmm. the same exact thing you were watching. Yeah. And then the next day, you would all be talking yeah, about it together. Trying to figure out how they did the tricks and stuff. And then there was that show on Fox called like Magic Secrets Revealed or something. Remember that? Where it was like. I watched a lot of reruns of that when I was like eight or nine or ten yeah they're they because i was on had some mysterious guy that would reveal some of these big tricks and how they did them and stuff and that was like a big thing for a little bit too i like how it was filmed in a like a abandoned yeah. warehouse set for no reason at all just to set the mood also love that it like never had any personality whatsoever mm -hmm. it was just very bare bones like i'm gonna tell you how these tricks are done it's like, are you going to do any flare at all? No, I'm just going to nope. tell you. How it's just going to be straight up spoilers <laughs> all day. Yep, in the most boring way possible. And I remember just magic spoilers. I remember like the guy <laughs> kept his identity a secret, and it was. And I'm wondering if that maybe he just had a skin condition. And he just was sensitive. I'm wondering if it, and if it actually did have an impact on like the magic community. Like if people really were pissed about that. I'm just wondering if there was any kind of. Or if they were just trying to heighten the, the drama of it all. I don't know. Maybe it was like, uh, I think that was uh, whenever it was. I don't, I don't know. I, I used to watch like TV shows through the end credits to see when they were made. I think that was like 2000 or 2001. Yeah, that sounds about right. Or something. Um, uh, and I don't know. Maybe it was like how Airplane was for disaster moves. It was kind of already on the way out. So you just kind of threw something on there to just sort of blow it into the wind. Could be. Could be. So, so it was, you know, with Airplane, it was just, we take all of these tropes and disaster movies and just kind of make fun of them. And maybe it was like magic's kind of winding down is super popular. So we're just going to like make a show that's just all giving it away. It could be. Because I feel like after that, was pretty much it. Like there, there wasn't a whole. You're not interested anymore. I mean, you, you would, you would have the, you would have the David Blaine special here well, and there. Yeah. That's the thing is that a lot of that stuff now is, you know. David Blaine's like my new special is I'm gonna sit in a glass box for a week and you're like that's not really magic is it like well there's I don't care <laughs> if you sit in a box like I don't give a shit there's... like make a plane disappear <laughs> they have some interesting there's like some interesting documentaries that have come out over the last couple of years about magic that I think at least kept the profession in the, in people's minds they kept it, yeah. kept the conversation going about it. like the Ricky Jay documentary was really good 
Uh, and there was there were some others that came out. And don't forget the uh, the the future cinematic classics, the Now You See Me films. Ugh, God, I've seen both of them in theaters. Neither of them are good, but I still see them. Now, with the fact that you saw those two, would what would you recommend? Either those two films or Lord of Illusions. Uh, I'd recommend Lord of Illusions up to a point. Like, there's a point where it's just kind of things falling, everything kind of falls apart, and then I'm like, just watch the first Now You See Me. It's all, like, blue fancy lighting and stuff, and they go all over the world by accident, and... I mean that's gonna that that looks that's gonna look incredibly dated just like this looks incredibly dated yeah, because it's all just early 2010s cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's the that's the thing for me with the, like uh, magic and uh, an illusionist. It, it just seems like there's such a wealth of potential here. There's so much that you can do with it. Yeah, I, I like that a lot of this took place at the Magic Castle, which is kind of mm-hmm. uh, I I think a really interesting place. And I thought it was cool that a lot of it yeah. took place in the Magic Castle. Uh, and I think we I mentioned this on uh, to you earlier, but it's I like the casual thing that it does of just augmenting the popularity of the thing, but just to a point, just so you know it's taking place in an exaggerated world where it's like a huge deal mm-hmm. where there's like a red carpet of people going in. It's like in uh, Showgirls when every time something happens in like the Vegas Showgirl world, there's a big press gaggle about it. Right, right. Like it's just it mm-hmm. conflates it's just everything. Blowing something up just that much more. Uh, Scott Bakula stars in this. I don't know if we mentioned if we mentioned that or not, but uh, we didn't. This was I don't know if this was yeah, we was this it. during Quantum Leap or after Quantum Leap. I don't. I'm not sure when Quantum Leap ended, but uh, it, it's it. I think it was after Quantum Leap. It's, just, it's so many '90s things. Oh yeah, it, it, Magic. Scott Bakula. That's why I love this movie so much, is because <laughs> it is—it's just so gloriously '90s. Like uh, Famke Jensen's in it, and uh, he. Th- there's an amazing that one hologram. Oh yeah, <laughs> like the hologram projector. Oh my god. Oh yeah, that was awesome. We're trying to use those to be serious now. That's just fun. <laughs> Love it. Seems like something the Magic Castle would have, right? Yeah. Uh, I loved the sex scene with Scott Bakula and and, uh, Franka Jensen. (laughs) It was so ridiculous and overly long. And uh, that's the one thing that I noticed through all these movies that we watched—the six of them. Not one had like every single sex scene was terrible. (laughs) Saxophones. (laughs) All over the place. Like maybe the worst. Soft lighting. I've ever seen. Okay, I've got so many comments on that subject when we get to boxing Helena, so I'll just reserve. Exactly. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's a big one. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that. I've got so much to say. <laughs> I was not into this movie. the The prologue that that you mentioned, Ken. I was that didn't do it for me. I was like, this is what is this? This is ridiculous. And then when they kind of brought it into more of like. A, a real world setting. I was I was more into it at that point, but there's just a <laughs> lot of really silly, dumb shit that happens in this movie. No, oh, yeah, no, there totally is in a good way. Absolutely, I think in good absolutely way. in yeah. a good way. But there's also he again. He's able to get this um, these glimpses of just really disturbing shit, like when the cult gets back together. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. the the glass and they kind of just like. They just kind of like cut from each like family, like 
killing everyone around them and like going back to the dead like that for me was unexpected came out of nowhere it's just like super serious in this you know sea of silliness that's going on and then you just have the like the one woman kills like her like her yeah kids. a lot of look, there's some <laughs> child death it's just there's just like dead bodies everywhere and blood everywhere and you're just like oh shit wait are we serious now yeah and then you had that the hair cutting scene where they're all violently cutting off yeah. their hair <laughs> I thought that was pretty disturbing, and the the glass scene when they were when they dropped to their knees in the glass, mm-hmm. uh, and then when Nix comes back and he gets like that the asshole on his head, <laughs> it reminded me of the Beyond, where mm-hmm. the the butthole comes out of the head. <laughs> but I thought the uh, all the practical effects were pretty solid in this. Oh yeah, no, again they look great. I'd say the movie peaks with like the magic show with the swords and everything like that's where the movie peaks that is my favorite part and then it just kind of moves around and then i think at the end it just sort of wanders downhill yeah yeah, I, yeah i'll agree with that yeah it does really stumble down mm-hmm. yep towards the end there it's just i don't know i don't know what, point. i don't know what the whole last 20 minutes were yeah no. i mean like the whole like the ending towards it you're just like okay we let's stop like this was this was fun and silly for a moment, but let's let's get back what, to some real was shit. Was this based off another like short story by Clive Barker? Yes, it was. was based it was because it really does feel like writing like screenwriting on deadline without an outline. You just need to end it somehow. I mean, I think a lot of these are adapted from short stories, so mm-hmm. I think that there had to be a lot of mm-hmm. uh, you know development in in the story to make them bigger and fit yeah. into a, a feature mm-hmm. runtime. So I mm-hmm. think that's probably where some of that sloppiness comes into play. Probably. <laughs> but yeah, it's I would also uh, like to point out that for watch. me uh Barry Dell Sherman is uh his role is Butterfield. I could have used more of him because I thought it was really interesting to see this guy like take this role really seriously. And to me he's like one of the, maybe the best villains I've seen in a film. Mm-hmm. And just it didn't utilize mm-hmm. him enough. Like he creeped me the fuck out. Like I found him deeply unsettling. Yeah. We all watched the two hour director's cut of yes. this. Apparently the theatrical cut was fifteen minutes shorter, it was kind of a studio cut. And the complaint that people had is that like the ending didn't make the the whole back half didn't make any sense. So if the ending mm-hmm. and the director's cut doesn't make any sense, what does the theatrical cut look yeah. like? <laughs> I want to watch the theatrical cut. I know. I'm kind of curious now. Evidently. Because it might get better if you think about it. Evidently, that was a problem that Barker must have had with studios a lot. Because I know Nightbreed also was a similar situation where there were like heavy, heavy cuts in Nightbreed. And they pretty recently released the the director's cut, which has a lot. It's it's very different. That's the kind of thing that happens a lot. The vast majority of directors don't have final cut privilege. Sure. Maybe it doesn't usually become this egregious, or maybe it does. It's just nobody talks about it. Could be. Uh, all right. Final thoughts on Lord of Illusions? Uh, Anything, Kevin? Uh, I have none. Okay. It's fun to try and guess where the swords went into him during that one scene. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did was, you do that too? Like as they're yeah, on him? Like, I was like, I don't know. When it's spinning around, I was like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Face. Mm-hmm. I thought we'll get the throat. 
Did one get the yeah. throat? No. Got the throat, did it? No, I don't think so. They should have got the throat. Got I think like everything more power. I was hoping it was going to get his dick. I thought it get was him, for a get second. Get him in the dick. <laughs> Just landed above it. I thought that's kind of like <laughs> uh, All right, let's give this thing a score. Ken, what are you going to give? Lord of Illusions. I'm giving it a six. Kevin. Um, I just rated this too, and I can't remember what I gave it. But I would say like a seven, seven and a half. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give it a six also. Pretty solid. Uh, again, I will reiterate, check out Nightbreed. If you, if you are looking for some solid Clyde Barker, it's not as, it's still a horror movie, but it's not as disturbingly violent as something like Hellraiser. It's a lot more fun and it feels mm-hmm. came out in 1990, but it has a very nineties feel to it where there's like mm-hmm. lots of crazy creature effects and aesthetic, uh, prosthetics going on. I feel like that yes. that's one thing that happened a lot in the 90s was everybody used prosthetics. Mm-hmm. And uh, this this is just loaded with really cool stuff. So check out Nightbreed also. I'm, I'm wondering, uh, I'm curious, curious to see. Sorry, go ahead. I'm curious to see if, if Barker ever makes another movie, if he ever directs another movie. I mean, I guess it would be no, but. Yeah, I think it's been 22 years. It's probably made a decision yeah i think so i saw him at a convention one time uh signing i think it was for a comic book maybe that he did but uh yeah i'm okay with his stuff yeah you're making that point about how it's kind of enjoyable to watch uh movies from a particular decade after the fact because you can pick out certain elements and trends so i think uh Maybe now it's sort of fun to watch sort of, uh, movies coming out now and think about uh, if they're going to have a future as like a fun dated of its era movie. Yeah. I think, yeah a lot of movies, especially like horror movies, do get sort of second lives that way. Oh, yeah. I mean, th- that's one of the things I like going through and binging um, franchises. So I'll, I, like, mm-hmm. I'll go through like the Friday the 13th series or the Halloween series. And I love it because it's like you're traveling through time. Like each one mm-hmm. is because, you know, a lot of those movies have many sequels that are pretty close together, like two, three years apart. Yeah. And you could just kind of you're just traveling through time and you're seeing like mm-hmm. these new trends and things. And it's, yeah. it's I always find that to be really interesting going through franchises. I can't wait to watch like Unfriended in 20 years. Well, it's going to be, yeah, I mean, yeah. a lot of it. It's going to be a mess. We're, we're going to be seeing like, there's going to be all this found footage stuff and we're going to be like, what were they thinking with this found yeah. footage crap? Mm-hmm. I'll be interested. We'll watch Unfriended after the singularity when it's just, you know, a reality. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so let's let's move on, continue our, our 90s talk with... Boxing Helena. This is directed by Jennifer Lynch. Came out in 1993. I have a synopsis here. A surgeon becomes obsessed with the seductive woman he once was in an affair with, refusing to accept that she has moved on. He amputates her limbs and holds her captive in his mansion. (laughs) (laughs) You can't even make this movie sound serious. Uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, else... That is maybe the best synopsis. (laughs) Because the second... Half of that sentence oh, and... seems completely detached from the <laughs> yeah. first half of that well, sentence. Well, so were her limbs. Yep. 
also feel it's like true. maybe it's it is true is it a little bit of a spoiler to just say that was it because it it felt like are there any spoilers in this movie but it, can you spoil this? but it felt like when when they first revealed that he cut off her legs it was like a big reveal they they framed it that way because julian sands he was standing in in front of her yeah so yeah. the so he obstructed the view and then he moved out of the way and you're like you know, bum bum bum. Yeah, what? and she's on her little really? throne thing. Really, the only thing about this movie you can spoil is maybe the last ninety seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just uh, which yeah. I was not. I did not think that it was going to go that way. Neither did I. I was but I kind of admired that... for just so unironically doing that. Yeah. I think I, there was. I think at that exact point, I was just like, "Ah, oh, you fucker!" Yeah, Fuck you. like you say this until the very, very, <laughs> very end, when you can just sort of count down the end credits on your fingers. Yeah. I was like, you... to just throw that out at me. Uh, yeah, I think that that's that's actually horrible. I hate it when movies pull the rug out yeah. from under yeah. you like that, and. Mm-hmm. Just the it's just because it's, it's so, so pointless. Yeah, it's so pointless. It's so lazy. It renders the movie completely useless. I feel like I wasted my time. Yeah, after. I think it's something that was known because it's not like oh, you find this out in the last twenty minutes or the last fifteen minutes. No, it's the last like two minutes. Yeah, and it's it feels like for me it feels like like an actual betrayal. Like I signed up for this. Like, okay, Jennifer, let you have a a vision for boxing Helena. Let's do this. I'm going to invest an hour and 47 minutes. Tell me, show me this story. And then to get to the last two minutes like that and just, just like, are you fucking like I gave you trust? (laughs) How are you going to do that to me? That's so rude. Yeah. Yeah. It's just really rude. I'm sorry. I wonder if the specific aspect of our frustration has now given away what kind of twist it is. It's a twist. I'll tell you Probably. what the twist is. It's all a dream. It's fantasy. Yeah, okay. It's bullshit. Don't watch the goddamn It's all movie. a dream. Yeah, uh, we, we don't have to hold back on spoilers for this for this movie. It's 1993. This movie yeah. came out was out when yeah. we were 10. Like, we can but also, This movie came out when I wasn't alive. <laughs> <laughs> also, I feel like it's it's the type of spoiler that you, you have to warn people about before going into it. Because I feel like it's... Yeah, it's I wish enjoy this, me. but none of it yeah, happened. Yeah, it, it's like... I think that a lot of people will 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 avoid the movie because of that. And when we find out in the last ninety seconds that it was all a dream, I was waiting for another plot twist in like the last thirty seconds to just build on that because I thought <laughs> it can't just end here. It can't just I, be oh it was just a dream. It has to be that that thing that said it was just a dream is just a dream. And really, I don't know. Julian Sands is the one that got yeah, his legs cut yeah. off. <laughs> <laughs> Carolyn Hens the one that's been holding him hostage this whole time. Yeah. No, I was I'm rapid exactly right there with you cuz I thought the same thing. I'm like this can't this can't be how it ends. This can't be it. Oh, that's Who would agree who agree with this? That's how it ends. That's that's the that's the twist. <laughs> that being said, oh, be- before that, before the that awful awful ending uh, there was a lot to be into with this movie. Yeah. Bill Paxton alone makes this movie. His hair. <laughs> his, his hair. His hair, his awesome mesh shirt, and his leather pants. His, All his of the words he says, just yeah. every line every, he has. Every line Bill Paxton has in this, it is amazing. It's worth seeing just for Bill Paxton. Honestly. Uh, Julian Sands uh, never quite understood 
his character in this movie. I didn't want to understand his character. I'm worried that would say something bad about me as a person. He, he, I love this character. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's terrible. So he just, he, I love his just general ineptitude when it comes to his obsession. Like he's just, is just out. He is just flaunting his obsession with her. Yeah, he doesn't just care in front of everybody. He does not care. He's changing, sweating through shirts and changing shirts, and even his like the woman that he's supposed to be getting married to. She, you know. She's like, oh, so what's going on? He's just like, oh, no, I'm completely in love with her, and I don't fucking care about you at all. Like, like if you brought this, this character... If you brought this character into 2017, like, with the internet and fan culture, where it's almost kind of in to just be obsessed with something, his head would just explode. Oh, yeah. He wouldn't be able to handle yeah, it. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> he, just go, he would just search a tag for something he likes on Tumblr, and he would just die on the spot. <laughs> Yeah, I, he he goes for a jog to her house and watches her. He climbs a yeah. tree, and he ends up he he ends up being out for until like four o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. and he just saw her at a bar, which is like, the thing that I love. This the, like the I can't believe this, Julian Sands invented fan culture. <laughs> his his uh, like this complete 180 that he does because he goes to the bar meets Art Garfunkel and he's like oh my god she's here I can't be here let's get out and you're like okay that's weird and then immediately gets home and just obsession just fully dives into it stalking her and it's just like damn you showed such great restraint at the beginning in a matter of like 10 minutes you're literally just You've looking in her window. Yeah. I can't believe Julian Sands found a TMZ. Yeah. I love that after this, the stalking just, scene when he was running home, and it just was very, it, at least it looked to me like he was just very clearly running in place, and they were just mm-hmm. shooting it with him running in place. <laughs> this was also the era of the windbreaker. Oh he, had, uh, he had some awesome Nike sportswear going on in this movie. Mm-hmm. Sands... Sans nailed once, the sportswear. <laughs> I never once got the impression that he was a top surgeon. No, no. He seemed like a, he acts never like a child. <laughs> the way he talks and acts, it's like a child. Well, they had to have that one scene at the very beginning where he performs surgery, just so you know that he is competent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of point it out because he's not showing up for. Because otherwise, like, we, we would have, have no to idea. Yeah. Yeah. We just think he's like some but, weird man child. Well, that's the interesting thing too is, and it's something that I found with both of her films between this and Jane, where she tries to explain some stuff or, you know, provide some sort of backstory. Like in this case, he is like a man child. He He's a very deeply, deeply pathetic man. And like, there's some sort of backstory with his mother, but it makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. It's just, random flashbacks of her being mildly disappointed in him and maybe naked once and you're supposed to deduce from that that like man that had like a huge effect on her on him in his life it's weird that a movie would have so much trouble kind of bringing things out in exposition like that considering that every line of dialogue is just so incredibly stilted Mm -hmm. because everyone is introducing each other by explaining to the other person how they know that Mm -hmm. Especially in that very first scene when he's like a kid at the dinner party and everyone's just explaining to him how important his family yeah. is. It's I, I thought all the dialogue was 
was pretty dreadful mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. Again, it's, except for yeah. Paxton, especially when he leaves and goes, us to whatever. Yeah. <laughs> he has the worst dialogue of any character, but he sells it the yeah. best. He does. He's fully invested mm-hmm. into it. I, I mean, yeah, I agree. All the dialogue is terrible. I can't I believe Bill love, Paxton um, invented acting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he invented so many things in this movie. It's ridiculous. Uh, and I also loved uh, Fenn just 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 outwardly hating Julian Sands' character, mm-hmm. just hating him mm-hmm. so I like someone I just love it. Well, even before that, just the whole idea, like when she shows up at his party, and just the dis- the outward disdain that she shows for him. I just I love it. I, I love the party scene because it is. I thought the, I thought the party scene was so amazing. She shows up. She doesn't want to be there, but she does. She goes anyway, and then just. <sighs> takes her clothes off, hops in the fountain, and then Art Garfunkel photobombs the, the slow-mo fountain scene. <laughs> Just poking his weird hair in there. And Can he be in every movie? I would love him to be in every movie. <laughs> just sort of poking around in the background yeah. of shots. <laughs> just wandering. Oh, it's just Art, yeah. it's just Art Garfunkel wandering around uh-huh. the backyard yeah, again. Immediately I, would love... I want him to have the most prolific IMDb page because he's in every movie that gets made. What I would do if I was a producer and or director, what I would do is have a running thing of Art Garfunkel showing up in every single film mm-hmm. only to do one thing. Within a scene where two individuals are talking to each other, Art Garfunkel comes up and he's like, excuse me, do you know what time it is? That's it. And then that's it. He just yes. interrupts. And, and then he's gone. And then- yes, that would, be my, that would be my version of the Hitchcock cameo. It wouldn't be me as a filmmaker. <laughs> it would just be Art Garfunkel. <laughs> Oh my god, I'd be so mad. And then people would ask why, and then I would just say, because Boxing Helena is the greatest film ever made, and he is the best part of it besides Bill Paxton. <laughs> oh my I wanted god. to happen so bad. Yeah, I, I, I loved I loved that fountain scene. It was amazing. And then uh just everything that Julian Sands did was just so ridiculous. The uh the the premature ejaculation it's scene. Hilarious. Everything I, I, the, when, when well, that, see, this is what I love is. <laughs> uh, sorry, go. I, I just I kind of forgot about that. The, the, yeah, the, the, so the premature ejaculation scene was was pretty classic in this movie. He when he does it, and then he takes <laughs> just like this whole movie encompassed in yeah, one scene. He takes off his shirt, and he, he and they they spend the time to to show us him like wiping himself down with his shirt afterwards. And you're just like, oh, I didn't need that. <laughs> I didn't need any of this. No. See, that's what I love when it does. You have that ending, and you find out that it's all this dream fantasy thing. And that was my immediate thought: is like, damn. Even in this guy's <laughs> even in fantasy, his, even in his fantasy, he comes early. <laughs> he's embarrassed, and he gets the shit kicked out of him by Bill Paxton. What like, if? What if in his? What if this was just a nightmare he had? But in his real life, he's just like the coolest, most popular guy in the city. And just in his dreams, he nightmares, and he just becomes this horrible, awkward uh, sadist. That's like his anxiety. He just yeah. Hmm. That's a, that, he's great. He's he's amazing in real life. So yeah, so it's like a like a manifestation. Uh huh. And that's how. He, and you know, the <laughs> reason that he's never had an awkward moment is that they're just all expunged out of his mind and his dreams. I like that theory. Mm-hmm. Maybe I, I like I like well to be. think of it that mm-hmm. way. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote down one of my favorite lines that uh, Julian Sands said in this movie. And uh, I, I just want to quote it here. A woman is something soft, something warm when you feel her. <laughs> this movie is so upsetting. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was Julian Sands. It, now that I think about it. Who else was the Yeah, now that I think about it, I actually think it was Sherilyn Fenn that said that. But either way, it's yeah. it's an amazing quote. Isn't that when she's like poaching him through? Which is such a bizarre thing too. When he finally, I guess he has sex with the, and he's so excited. He's like, "I did it for you." Yeah. Is that is that the scene where it scored to the Enigma song? I think that might be. Yeah, I think that line was like a a prelude to the to the Enigma song. Uh, I had just like discovered Enigma not too long ago. Like I had just somehow never heard of their existence, and then I listened to like the most famous album, like that one album from which that song is from, and I just sort of committed like that's pretty cool. I'll never hear that again in any other context. And so the scene starts, and I'm thinking, hey, this sounds a lot like Enigma, and then I realize it is, and then it automatically becomes the most incredible <laughs> scene I've ever seen in any movie, <laughs> just because. Jennifer Lynch actually got the rights to that bit of music just for it. Uh, the yeah, Enigma. there's a lot of things. That, that was such a good choice. I also going through the IMDb quotes. I do. Here's another one from Julian Sands. It should just if you be were a real movie. Yeah. If you were a real woman, you'd lie to me about our sex. Such <laughs> <laughs> a bizarre. Okay. The, all the dialogue in this movie is so great yet so terrible that after it ended i immediately forgot all of it but now that you're saying it i can automatically remember when it was said oh i noticed yeah i noticed the helena (laughs) quote that i that i said is on imdb so must have been must have made an impact with others as well (laughs) as soon as i heard it i was immediately so whatever (laughs) hostile whatever oh my god amazing uh, mm-hmm. uh yeah so this this movie's actually it, this movie's pretty it's bad. actually really horrible it's it's, it's horrible. It, it is it is no this is a terrible movie it, but you yeah, should see it, it it's garbage it's garbage but no it's a must see i i cannot recommend it highly enough yeah uh let's give this a score i will say you know what maybe i scored this before uh i'll say like three i guess i don't know I'd say between three and five. It's it's a uh, it's kind of a so bad it's good movie for me. It's close, yeah. Oh, I, I scored it a one and a half on Letterbox previously, so I'll, I'll, that would be I'll a, say three. One and a half stars would be like a three, yeah. I'll, so. I'll say a three, maybe. Okay. Uh, Kevin, I would agree. Say like yeah, four, four and a half. All right, Ken, what are you gonna give Boxing Elena? I'd say a four, but at the same time, it's one of those movies that is all the numbers and none of the numbers at the same time. Yeah. I mean, especially, like just, especially that I mean, ending, man, like that, that mm-hmm. ending really to me just breaks the movie. I also just what, like how the, the, all of the lighting in the movie, all the cinematography is either like super expensive early nineties pop video or just really cheap early nineties made for TV movie. Like that scene where, He's st- sitting in the tree, looking in her window, and in her and in her, through her window, it's like super expensive pop video. And then you cut back to him, and it's just like a cardboard tree. Yeah, 
Lots of it just bridges that gap. Yeah, so. lots of like wind wind machines and soft lighting going on, and yeah. it, it's it definitely there are a lot of scenes that have that kind of music video vibe to them. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I think well, you know the, you think about the plots and music videos, and none of them really make sense. So this is like a music video, but it's the whole story without the music. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, that's a good way to uh, to mm-hmm. explain this movie. Uh, all right, let's uh, move on. And talk about Chained. This came out in 2012. This is Jennifer Lynch's last uh, feature film, but she's done a lot of work since then. She she does a lot of TV. She's directed like every TV, an episode of every TV. Yeah, show. she does tons and tons of TV stuff nowadays. Uh, a- anything from Wayward Pines to Hawaii Five O, Once Upon a Time, Quantico, lots of stuff. Um, her IMDb is like 50% of the titles were from the last three years and it's all like television yeah. stuff. So yep. she's keeping busy. Yeah, she, I mean, she did a couple episodes of the walking dead. So she's, she's got some good stuff in there as far as her, her, uh, TV directing career mm-hmm. goes, but chained was the last movie she did. Uh, maybe, maybe we can see why, uh, this was the last movie she directed, uh, We'll get into it. I have a synopsis here. Bob, a cab-driving serial killer who stalks his prey on the city streets alongside his reluctant protege, Tim, who must make a life-or-death choice between following in Bob's footsteps or breaking free from his captor. I really thought that when I read that plot description, that was going to be like the main conflict of the movie, but really that's only the last Yeah, That's like the last third. It's like the one decision he has to make towards the end. And it comes right at the end. Uh, okay, there's some other stuff that happens. At the end, I, I, we'll, we'll yeah, get we'll get to it. Uh, I I didn't. I, I've seen this movie before too, but I forgot most about most of what happened in it, so I had to rewatch it. I did not like it the first time. I don't like it the second time. It's just. Uh, it's just. It's so stupid, and there's just nothing. Nothing in it of substance for me in this. I mean, there's some. I mean, Vincent D'Onofrio plays a I thought it was all right. He plays a, a decent, you know, serial killer guy. He's always good at playing kind I'm, of the creepy schlubby. Yeah, I've never met a serial killer, so I can't say how how true, but it's how is, you would but... imagine them being. Yeah. You'd imagine them being these kind of slovenly <laughs> schlubs. He's, he's he's yeah, he's, he's your pop culture serial killer. Side note, in real life, Vin, Vincent D'Onofrio in real life is super nice. Great guy in real life. I've heard that. Uh, but, uh, and then, and then, Wait, have you met, uh, I have, interacted with I have, mm-hmm. uh, and he's, can we talk about that instead of chain? Cause chain sucked. So let's just not much to talk you. about with this. Movie. Yeah. Uh, unless we're, unless we're talking about I, I mean, like Eamon Farron's wonderful otherworldliness, I have nothing to say about this movie. Right. And that's the, yeah, that's the is, thing. Like, he is an interesting, he kid. is an interesting kid yeah. guy. I guess, I guess he's probably an adult now. I think he's. But I think he's a good actor. I think he's good in this. Oh yeah, I think he's. Uh, you may know him from the the new Twin Peaks, the new season of Twin Peaks. I haven't seen him yet. He hasn't showed up. I haven't gotten that deep. I guess. You're pretty deep, aren't you? How, what? what See, so he's co- he's collaborated with both of the uh, the Four. filmmaking lynches. Yes, he has. Four or five. I think I'm at episode five. Oh, I thought you were like really. I thought you were like almost done with it. You haven't watched? No, nah, I should got that's stalled. About, that's I'm about where I am. I got garbage. super stuck way back somewhere, and I've never gotten back to it. I, I got... I spent most of my day I just forgot. 
2012. <laughs> so like, not only is this movie dumb and kind of pointless, but like, there's nothing visually appealing. No. Like of any interest whatsoever, you can just listen to this movie, and it's the exact same yes, experience it's, it's, as watching the damn thing. It's this is something that bugged me all through the movie, and later, I, and it's not terribly relevant because if it if it did go this way, we wouldn't have a movie. But how did this guy basically abduct all of his victims in a fairly public way, and then kill them all, and then do this over and over again, like every day for how God knows how many years, and he never got caught? Yeah, it's a little far fetched. How, how bad are the lo- is the local law? I mean, even after a while, if these this many people were d- disappearing. You'd like bring the FBI. Oh yeah, that's like a serious. I mean, he did it for decades. It and this see. is like this is this is like this looks and feels like a Criminal Minds episode, but just everything that happens before. It yeah, starts. it feels very. And then you'd bring like the and then you'd bring like the the BAU from Criminal Minds in, and they'd solve it in forty five. It, it, yeah it feels very much like a procedural to me like mm-hmm. just the but it's the all look. the bits in between yeah not a lot of investigative work happening we're, we're seeing everything from the the killer's perspective here and i went through jennifer lynch's imdb i think she directed some criminal minds too that wouldn't wouldn't surprise so, me yeah i think so, so you know really i think that i think those episodes were probably the the answer to this question yeah any other thing they get like not only is it him abducting people? And it does make it, he makes it sound like he does this every day. Does he not? Yeah. Cause he, like when he's going through the, the rules at the beginning with the kid, he's like, yeah, he's, he, yeah, he describes the daily routine and then he tacks this on yeah. without a transition. So it's like, is this also a part of the routine? Yeah. But, and then to bury, like, you got to run out of room at some point burying all these. Yeah. Cars. Yeah. Cause I mean, it must be hundreds. Oh, it's just a giant tunnel. Is he like dug a giant tunnel under his house and it's just bodies everywhere? Yeah, I mean this this Plus, the smell alone if, of, of that situation. What would... you would think too is after a while you have okay, after you get like twelve, thirteen people missing, you would be like, Okay, what was the last thing all these people were doing? <laughs> get they were in a taxi. Okay. Let's take a look at taxi drivers. Okay, we got this one guy, one guy. out in the middle of who nowhere. Seems to be, who seems to have been the same cab driver that all these people yeah. went. Maybe we should go visit I, him. I feel like they would ver- yeah. very easily be able to put the pieces together on this. And then be like, I'm sorry, all my bodies are... In- let's get. Let's say we had a giant tunnel. And it's like, all the bodies are in this giant tunnel. And then you'd be like, okay, let's poke around the house. Look, here's a box full of their driver's licenses. Yep. Yeah. I think just by the simple fact that if you look at taxi drivers... If you're like, okay, we're just going to take a look at taxi drivers in the area. And you have a guy that lives out in the middle of nowhere with no one around. And he's got like corrugated metal around his house and stuff. You'd be like, you know what? This is probably the guy. Yeah, you would you would know right away. Yeah, you take one look at that house and you're like, yeah, he's the one. Yeah, there's something. There. <laughs> he's the guy. Because even if they hid the kid, you probably Pretty wouldn't be sure. able to have enough time to like hide the bed and... Maybe you'd have enough time to hide the chains. You know, but... considering how convoluted the plot twist is, what if the other plot twist is that he's also like the mayor of the town and the police chief, and he's the everything, so <laughs> everything goes through him. So he said, "I don't think we need an investigation." There. Yeah, I think that's that. That it definitely brings up a good point. The this one had a re- absolutely. He's also the director of the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> this one had an absolutely ridiculous ending too. That so we should have added those things. That. You, you see the ending of this movie and you're just like, huh, what the f- What is this? 
I didn't fully understand the plot twist because it came and went so quickly. Yeah, it's it's it, it happens I, very quickly, and you're just like, what? And you're still trying to figure out like I, what what they were even talking I, about. I honestly, I honestly was like, I rejected it. Like I knew what was happening. I knew what the plot twist was, but there was a part of me. It's like, no, you're not doing this. I'm not allowing it. This is not happening <laughs> right now. You're not doing this. Like I had to put up with enough shit up until this point in time with Chained. You know, I sat <laughs> through a lot with this movie. I'm not sitting through this too. Like you can't just, I mean, this is almost worse than the fantasy bullshit. You can't just be like, oh yeah, the brothers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What the, f- the hell is going yeah. on here? <laughs> Does she not know how to end movies? Evidently not. I don't. I, I don't know. Apparently, she said, and of course, um, you know, you can say whatever you'd like, but uh, she said that the plot twist was made more sense in the script, but they just did not have the resources to flesh it out. Which makes me think that perhaps the plot twist was just that he was every single person in every single job and then it was just lots of cuts and it's like you cut to him and he's the mayor and you cut to him and he's the police chief and then you cut to him and he's the FBI agent and then you cut to him and he's the president <laughs> and so that's how, and that's so that's how this was all connected because he was also every other person and so it makes sense but they couldn't afford to build the oval office set where we reveal he's yeah. the president and also his entire cabinet hmm it would have been interesting too if the, like 10 seconds before the credits too he wakes up from a car crash yeah. It was all fantasy. Nope. Oh, my <laughs> gotcha. He wakes up and he's Julian Sands. <laughs> <laughs> Julian Sands without any legs. I would like that. That would be really interesting to bring across multiple films. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny, like oh. I I've see the things that the things that these movies could have been. They could have been great. And they're not. It's just, it's just disappointing. Well, the the difference between Boxing Elena and Chained is that Boxing Elena has a lot of there's at least some entertainment value there. Like there's some fun stuff in there and there's some ridiculous stuff, but chained is just, it's nothing. It there's, there's no really redeemable qualities well, even with, for me at least. Uh-huh. I mean, for me, and I don't know about you guys, but for box and Helena, I mean, to me, there's at least some um, display of, of filmmaking prowess. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like where, where some scenes are edited in a nice way and the, the way that it's shot and, you know, like Helena leaving the whole sequence of her leaving the party, I thought was fantastic of how like it goes completely pitch black, except for them two walking away, but chained chain. Like there's nothing, there's nothing of value to me in watching mm-hmm. chained. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree yeah. with that. Definitely. I've seen, I've seen uh, some of, jennifer lynch's other films i did see surveillance and i saw hiss uh his was quite bad very very mm-hmm. bad i don't know if either of you've seen that it's about a i do not know what it is uh basically it's about uh, a woman who turns into a snake it's about a snake woman oh who kills people I guess that nice. explains the title yeah uh there's actually a document a pretty interesting documentary that came out about the making of that movie that's in a lot of ways, more interesting it, than the movie itself. I think most movies are not as interesting as a documentary about the making of said movie, but so that's not a fair comparison for me. Yeah. But um, the uh, surveillance was the other one. Won't uh, Bill Pullman? This was uh, I. Rem- I don't really remember too much about surveillance. I remember thinking it was okay, 
but uh, I know I, the only thing I remember is that it's a creepy. Yeah, there, I remember there was some was like awesome. really disturbing <laughs> violence in it, but I, I. Yeah, she does just full on darkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I'm also seeing here. What is this? Is this movie a fall from grace? Did that come out? That says 2015. Did that actually come out after? Did did I mess this up? And did that come out after? Chained. Watch the wrong one. Well, I don't see it listed on. Do we have do we have to record a second podcast yeah, now? Yeah, we'll have to record like an addendum. It says on IMDb production announced. Okay, so it's not. Which would I guess indicate that it's just an idea. This is yeah, a, I guess it's not out this yet. This is an interesting cast. Yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio, yeah. David Lynch, Forrest Whitaker. I wonder how she got David Lynch. Center uh, C- huh. the Entertainer. Pull, so many strings to you. Yeah, yeah. But, but really, we, we're looking at French Stewart on this list. That's that's the key right there. French Stewart. Yeah, I, I'm just kind of stopped. And Nelly. <laughs> no. And Nelly, that's what I mean. Like, Paz Vega. That's what I'm looking forward to. Hmm. All right. Is it so yeah, uh, it, it should be noted, okay. Jennifer Lynch still great career. So this this chain yeah. movies could not be that might not be her last movie. Whereas Mario Bob <laughs> is dead, and it seems like Clive Barker is is done with directing. She she could have yeah. Some, this one's definitely the there's definitely more to be had with her career. No, I hope so because Chained is uh, is is pretty bad. Pretty, pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to give Chained a, uh, a two out of ten. I'm going to even say one and a half on this one. Uh, Ooh, drop it down to one. Uh, Kevin, Just keep going. <laughs> point five. Zero. Minus one. <laughs> <laughs> Negative two. Uh, Ken, what are you going to give Chained? Uh, I gave it a five because there was never anything I actively disliked in it. I just sort of... sat there and the movie happened and then it was over Mm -hmm. and I was like this did not actively make me feel like the world was the worse for it existing Um, I'm not crazy about the plot twist just because I didn't understand it but Vincent D'Onofrio and him and Farron were good so I'll give it a five Uh, Kevin what are you going to give it? I'm going to give it a one and I actually didn't like Vincent D'Onofrio I mean I guess like half and half. I only well, I kind of like, like voice. Well, like I don't understand. Maybe I liked I him because he talked kind of really softly. It was fine. And then he would go through the book, and then that sort of kind of turned into an uh, sort of flipping pages, and when he was talking softly, and it kind of turned into an unintentional ASMR video. So I liked that. <laughs> so this is a good opportunity here. What the hell is the AM? Was it AM? ASMR. ASMR. Uh, What's that? Uh, that's the stands for something. I'll pull it up. Um, I guess I do have Google too. I could have just Googled this. At autonomous some point, sensory meridian response. Basically, it's like you know you have all those YouTube videos of people out there whispering or yeah making some kind of sounds. And it for some people it kind of does for me. It sort of is this sort of pleasurable tingly feeling in your head. It helps you relax and uh, okay yeah well yeah there's if lots. You, of... I mean if you don't get it. If you don't get it, then you're just going to find the most sort of annoying, petty thing on the planet just because it's people whispering or, like, flipping through pages in a book or writing gotcha. on a notebook or something. I was just, I wanted to seize that opportunity. I know I could have Googled it at some point mm-hmm. in time, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to take, it, I'm gonna take yeah. this opportunity as it comes. I asked somebody because I see it all the time. And I'm like, I don't know what, I don't understand what this is. So, yeah, so as, like, a really high-concept creep, one of those creepy Halloween ASMR videos, 
Chained is like a 10, but as a movie, it's a 5. Well, there you have it. That's Chained. That's Jennifer Lynch. That's going to do it for this Halloween wrap-up. All right, let's, uh, let's take a look at some of the movies coming out in theaters this week. We got Bad, A Bad Mom's Christmas. Comes out on November 1st. We got The Light of the Moon coming out on November 1st. We got Most Beautiful Island coming out November 2nd. I'm reviewing that, aren't I? Uh, yeah, I believe so. I think right. it lo- that, that one looks, uh, looks pretty decent. What's it, what, what's I it should called watch again? that sometimes. Yeah. Mm, might want to get around to it. Uh, yeah. The big one that, that comes out this week is Thor Ragnarok. You guys excited for that one? Oh, yeah. I'm excited for it to be over and I don't have to hear about it anymore. You're not excited for the movie, though? Little t- no, little I am kind of. I, kind of I, I don't. The, I'm excited to see I'm sure it. everyone I, says this, but, you know, if superhero movies be the current major filmmaking trend and they've already scheduled them through like 2022. I have to imagine it's going to like, because people kind of get a little bit, people are getting tired of them now. It's just going to be like, if they're already scheduling them through 2022 in, in production, there's going to be a point where it just falls out of its favor and those last like six are going to flop so hard. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I think like the seven, it, it, it's so funny. Like we're going to be like 2022 and we'll be at like well, Aquaman four and it's just going to Bomb. Well, I remember, I remember back when Marvel had their first string of successes, and they had like three or four that were like big, and they were they were good, and they were well received by critics and audiences. And I remember saying, like, when's this bubble gonna burst? Like, they're on this hot streak right now, but when when is this all gonna fall apart? But it seems to still be working, and. Well, it's because they like bought into it so quickly that there's just nothing else coming out. I don't think it's because people are just as enthusiastic about them. I think. Well, I think there's a there's a couple reasons that it seems to be working. I think that the 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 structure yeah. in which that they're releasing the movies is is it works better. I think that it's also based on properties people already. Know. I think that the directors that they're getting also helps. they're getting more interesting directors. They're not just getting these jobbers to come in and go through the motions, they're actually getting creative people like Taika Waititi for Thor Ragnarok. I think there's also a degree to which if you're coming on and directing one of these movies, you do kind of, you are kind of there with the intention that you can direct it, but it's, uh, but you're, but ultimately a lot of your decisions have to be put through. Absolutely. Yeah. Marvel first. I think it's like, you know, why the couple of people have been fired from making Star Wars movies. It's like, you're not the auteur here the uh, uh the producer and the, right the company and, and i'm sure that it's the same reason why Edgar Wright was removed from ant-man that he mm-hmm. there there was a little too much stuff creative then they gave him time to make baby driver so you know that worked. yeah there you go uh all right we have my friend Dahmer, which uh comes out i would say check that one out i would choose a different friend yeah based on a true story it's actually really interesting ladybird comes out that's the greta gerwig one pretty excited for that one Heard nothing mm-hmm. but good things. Uh, LBJ. It's the one with uh, Woody Harrelson playing LBJ. A little biopic action. Doesn't look great. Oh, yeah. Uh, Last Flag Flying. Not... Uh, I hear that's good. I, I mean, I heard it's it's good. It's the new Richard Linkletter, but I, I don't I don't know. Mm-hmm. It just it doesn't... It doesn't no, immediately pe- appeal to me, I'm, but... It's not something that I'm excited about, but I just hear it's good. I'm sure Kevin will be skipping that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Blade of the... Um- I'm excited about, like, 
three movies coming out from now till the end of the year. It's like, you know. There's a there's a few that I'm... Uh, but it's for. not too many. It's like, call me by your name and two other things. Yeah, I'm excited for yeah. a few different things. Uh, one of them being Blade of the Immortal, which is the new uh, Takeshi Miike one that comes out. Mm-hmm. Gilbert, that's the documentary about Gilbert Gottfried. Looks kind of funny, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Princess Sid no. comes out. Kevin, I know you're excited about that one. Oh, wait, that's next weekend? Uh, yeah, I think so. God damn it. <laughs> Uh, a Gray State comes out. That's a documentary. <clears throat> Looks meh. I'm still like so burnt out on docs. Like I can't. There there haven't been any documentaries that have come out recently that I've been interested in. There should be a moratorium on documentaries yeah. for like at least the next ten oh, years. Oh man, especially when we. What if something really ha- interesting happens in the next ten years and we caught it all firsthand? Yeah, I mean, es- especially when we cover. A documentary film festival. Holy shit, that burns me out so bad. Making, Sounds terrible. You just make they make docs about oh, everything. Yeah. Yep, everything. A lot of documentaries would have been better books. Uh, yeah, definitely. But I think Mike D'Angelo, the film critic, Mike D'Angelo, has the basic rule that that's that's his rule with the documentaries is that uh, it's a good documentary if it does something that just a book or like a long form magazine article couldn't. But most, a lot of them just pretty much. It should, I mean, it should it should utilize the art form in some way. Yeah, I completely agree. Like uh, instead of just giving me information, like Brimstone and Glory, which that I can easily find. Everybody should see Brimstone and Glory. Yeah. By the way, we didn't do a watch list this week, but maybe I'll talk about it more next week. Brimstone and Glory is awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, VOD mm-hmm. this week we got Blood Dynasty and the Follower. Those both come out on uh, Halloween. And then let's see what we have coming out on Friday. What is Friday the third? Friday, yeah, yeah this coming okay. Friday is the third. Different Flowers comes out on the third, and then Blu-ray this week we have JD's Revenge from 1976. Arrow's putting that out. We got mm-hmm. Hellraiser coming out. Looks like a Steelbook edition of Hellraiser coming out. That looks. Yes. That's got a really cool uh, steelbook cover. Bunch of TV mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, was that? There was a Child's Play collection that came out. I guess that was this last week. All of the Child's Play movies collected into one box set. It's pretty cool. How many are there? Seven. There's so many. Yeah. Unlike Hellraiser and some of these other franchises, all of the Chucky movies are actually pretty decent if you give them a look. Uh, let's, uh, let's see what else. Zoology from 2016. Vestron is putting out Slaughter High from 1986. I hope to get that. Big fan of that one. Dark Tower coming out. Heard that was pretty bad. That's Didn't a pretty actually. quick turnaround. That was yeah. just in theaters, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it might still be in theaters. That flopped pretty bad. Yeah, they, they must have wanted to... to Usually when that happens, when you when you have that really quick turnaround, it's because mm-hmm. it didn't meet anywhere yeah. close to expectations. So mm-hmm. they try to they're trying to recoup some of those losses. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin, anything on the Criterion front next week? Oh man, I didn't. I wasn't prepared. God damn it, Kevin! <laughs> While Kevin's looking that up, Rockadoodle from 1991 is coming out on Blu-ray. 
Hell yeah. Rockadoodle. Hey, that's coming out on Criterion, too. Uh-oh. Rockadoodle on Criterion. No. That movie not. was such a piece <laughs> of shit. <laughs> what? Rockadoodle? I hated that movie. Ah, <laughs> oh, look, I have to go through all that work, and there's no Criterion that's coming out. <laughs> Listen, Criterion uh, put like three Michael Bay movies out, so I would I would almost believe you could make a case for anything. Yeah, uh, yeah. Early days of Criterion were a little weird, though. Yeah. But it's still weird. Yeah. S- some of the choices. Yeah, yeah baby. It, it's eccentric. It's kind of like an eccentric early period. There's nothing really wrong with that. I just call me when they add spontaneous combustion to Criterion. <laughs> I think they should add oh the stuff. Goodness. I think they should, they should add should the stuff and cue the winged serpent. I think this should be the first oh, film made yeah. exclusively for Criterion, but it's just the two and a half hour like Hellraiser uh, procedure meeting. I, I'd yeah, be into that. Criterion yeah, original, perfect for them. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like the right oh. mixture of kind of avant-garde, but also sort of popular culture. It it would work. I think it would work. Uh, all right. I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net, at filmpulsekevin, and at kbake underscore 99. If you have a minute, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash filmpulse. Consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber. For Kevin Rakestraw and Ken Bakley, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>